Welcome to Adult Papers. I'm your host, Lunar Violet. First of all, I need to apologize in case you happen to catch any of the hacking. I managed to pick up something on my travels. And I do my best to cut out all the interstitial hacks, but, you know, they might just make their way in. I do a lot of riffing on this episode, a lot of contemplation and telling stories that I didn't plan to tell. So, the Kindred versus Kindred, which this episode is named for, doesn't start till about 22 minutes. (laughs) So, if you want to skip... A little backstory about adult papers and singing and moving and identity and Rahu. Then skip to 22 minutes-ish. Or if you got the time, then you can listen to the whole shebang. So I noticed this funny thing happening as I record this season. This is episode four. Um, And my Texas accent is slowly coming on back. And, um... That's just something fun you get to witness. I will blame it partially on one of my best friends who is also Texan, who is moving to the West Coast in a couple months. And uh, with the two of us together, (laughs) it's going to be Texas all up in this house. So, yeah, I'm going to embrace it. Embrace the Texas accent that I've been so fervently trying to erase all these years no actually that happened I'll never forget it because you just don't know what you just don't know so I was probably a little country bumpkin my whole little life talking like a little country fool with my mama because that's how she talks you know because she's from Mississippi and then going over to my Wella's house and just speaking Spani over there so you know, I have my little country accent over here. Y tengo mi acento cubano por allá. Y luego, you know, we moved to East Texas. And it gets real nice and thick and strong. And then for high school, we move our asses to the suburbs of Houston. So that was my first experience in any kind of suburbs. By the way, I love Houston, so I talk a lot of shit about Texas, but it's mostly just Dallas that gets my little little hate. I love Houston and the hill country, but the suburbs kind of suck everywhere. Except maybe in L.A. Hopefully they don't suck here. I have hope. I don't know, though, from those white ladies in the Kindred show. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So then, yeah, so then we moved to the suburbs. And it's my first day of freshman year. And I'm a new kid, and so the teacher like, oh, it's Violet Gutierrez, come to the front and introduce yourself. And so I go up there, and I'm like, I'm Violet. And this this little bitch, Alicia, which we should have been friends. She was as angry as I was. I don't know why we weren't friends. She was a great fucking runner, too. She was just like a fucking gazelle out there. She could just fucking sprint it out, you know. And when we'd have, like, track and field, the coaches would just be like, just watch this bitch. This is what you're supposed to do. And we'd be like, oh, oh yeah, okay. We don't have, like, legs that reach to the sun like that. But she was beautiful, too. And clearly talented. But I guess that's why people picked on her, right? Because they were jealous. But anyway, so she was an angry girl. Alicia, if you're listening to this, I hope you're okay. And um, 
So I was like, I'm Violet, and she and she made fun of me. She was like, Violet, and then from that moment forward, I was Violet. After that, I was Violet. I swear, my whole like, it wasn't on purpose. It was just. I was like, oh, people talk different here. So I was talking different too. I mean, in my defense, I was always a little chameleon because we moved around so much. You know what I mean? One school for kindergarten, a different for first grade, a different school for third grade, and then two schools for fourth grade and on and on. I liked moving around. Um, I didn't mind not having friends. Because I had cats and books, and that was enough for me, and my wella, and my brother, of course. But uh, it's weird how I don't want that for my child, but she's just different than me. She's very social. She, like, takes her friendships very seriously. And I didn't start doing that till later, so moving around a lot just, like, helped me learn how to adapt to different social situations and adapt in general, but it did cost me some things, which definitely, like, how to keep a motherfucking friend and how to, like, deal with the positives and the negatives of friendship. It was easy for me to be like, oh, this is hard. Uh, yeah, I don't have to do it. And then also I kind of learned this pattern of like when shit gets hard you just move um (laughs) we won't talk about the move to LA but um so yeah I've had to unlearn some things and I guess everything comes with positive and negative right so uh yeah I just know I want to provide a something different for my daughter you know what there is like another thing I've been thinking about recently that I fear I will think about till I die which is having Rahu in the first house and how Rahu is like the severed head of the dragon and how there is like a crisis of identity when you have Rahu in the first house because you're detached from the rest of your body you kind of like don't know who the fuck you are and I have always struggled with that still do it's kind of embarrassing to still struggle with it it's annoying to still struggle with it and i've talked about it multiple times as like a multi-hyphenate multi-creative person i just know that like the first thing i wanted to be when i was a kid was a writer and then i wanted to be a teacher um but it's questionable my motivation behind that because i decided i wanted to be a teacher when i was watching my third grade teacher write on the overhead projector with the dry erase markers and it looked so fun and cool which i think might really just mean that i'm an artist and i wanted to like write on a light box um and uh, that I wanted a platform, that I wanted to be in front of people telling them stuff, talking to them. All of that tracks. I mean, I was a teacher for a while. And I think maybe in the ancient form of the word, before the fucking public education system, I think I'd probably, I'd probably count as a teacher still. Or like being a storyteller is kind of being a teacher. You know, writer, singer, those are like culture bearers. I think that makes more sense. And then the third thing I wanted to be was a singer. That's a whole story. And then storyteller was just kind of like a through line to all of those things. 
And then at some point I wanted to like direct films and I actually get to do that this year. So we'll see if that's um, something that sticks or what the fuck is going to stick. But um, so moving around all the time probably didn't help that. And by that, I mean um, my just general crisis of identity. Just the fact that uh, our culture is so profit-focused that you can totally imagine what it was like when I was a child and I told my working-class folks that uh, I'm a poet, I'm a singer, I'm a writer, I'm an artist. They were just like, "Uh, what is that? You know, I build buildings and type things. And, um, you know, it's a struggle and I don't want you to be poor. So uh, you better figure something else out, Um, which didn't help matters. So here we are. Uh, And that might explain why I make a podcast for fun and play guitar for fun and sing for fun and make zines for fun and write for some money. A little bit enough to get by, hopefully. And um, I'm about to make a short film for also very little money or no money to me, probably, at all. Just a labor of love. And, um, you know, but I've never gone hungry. And my kid never has either, although she might tell you differently because, you know, all she wants to eat is fucking McDonald's and shit. So she might, like, pretend like she's hungry um, so that you can give her some candy. (laughs) You know, we've always had food. We've always had a roof. Um, there have been no major crises uh, outside of my emotional mental ones. Um, but I make it work. And I guess that's why I need so much time. Because i got to keep working to pay the bills. But I still need time to learn how to be a good jazz singer. And learn how to play guitar decently and record shit and make movies and write poems and articles and essays and stories and books and screenplays and every motherfucking thing I'm trying to do all the time. I need the time, God, let me let me live. Even though sometimes, you know, I contradict that. But that's usually like on the first day of my period because that's that's the hardest it used to be the last day but now it's the first day especially this time because I was sick and then I started my period and I was just like why am I still alive why is this living but I'll also like being bi-cultural bi-ethnic since I'm not biracial I'm white as the fucking clouds but um Clouds aren't always white, though. Sometimes they're gray. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, being bi-ethnic didn't probably help that crisis of identity, which I have circled back to talk about. Being fucking bisexual, queer didn't help. But also, like, those are things I definitely wouldn't take back. I love being Cuban and white, even though I always feel like an outsider. Um, I like being queer, even though I also always feel confused when it comes to dating. But um, I guess that's just my fucking lot in this life. It's just to always 
be fucking confused and questioning. I mean, the questioning part's good. Uh, to an extent, it keeps me entertained. keeps me uh, occupied. Um, it motivates me. gives me a reason to keep on going. But I'll tell you what. It gets fucking exhausting sometimes. And sometimes um, I have to cry it out. And then I'm just like... I can't believe I'm still crying about this shit. Like, being in Ashley show probably doesn't help because there's 27 nakshatras and my moon is transiting through pretty much a different one every day. So then I have a different mood every day. But I also wouldn't want to be anything other than Ashley show. I love that. I'm hoping, I don't know, maybe when I hit menopause that will help. There will be one thing in my life that is no longer cyclical and something that finally becomes, like, set. Maybe. My hormones, maybe? Uh, we'll see. So, uh, if you have stuck around this far, you will get the kindred versus kindred interpretation. I promise. I edited this episode, so I know. So, to go off on one more tangent before the final actual written episode for ya, I was going to include in this season a series of blogs that I wrote back in 2019 when I first started singing and recording. I was still hiding, so I still wasn't telling people I was singing and I was recording under like an anonymous name and wearing masks and shit. That's how scared I was, but there were other reasons. But anyway, and the masks were fun to make. But anyways, um, I was going to include that in this season, but actually if you go to my adult papers Instagram at adult papers um and if you have gone there and you're like what the fuck is all this shit <laughs> when you look like through the older stuff that um that's it that's when I was releasing these songs under mix untitled mx untitled and um completely in secret but also in my defense you know I was a high school teacher and there was sexual content you know that I was writing in the songs and in the images and so I was just terrified to just like lose my job in the most spectacular way in Dallas you know you're supposed to be a a certain type of person and that person doesn't include the full spectrum of humanity neither sexual nor queer nor um veering from the straight and narrow i'm generalizing there's two whole neighborhoods in dallas where you can be gay but you know i don't think there's even anywhere you can be weird there's like two neighborhoods where you can be gay but there's like no neighborhoods where you can be weird um that's not to say i hate all of dallas like when i used to teach in pleasant grove i liked those people because they were you know real but like you know, working class, like, fucking hood people tend to be cooler because they just are not fake. Although that can be a very scary world to navigate, and I wouldn't want to raise my trans kid in that atmosphere. I liked Oak Cliff, too. Pleasant Grove was cool. Bishop Arts is great. Oh, God, Deep Ellum. I do miss Deep Ellum. I have a block in my mind. I was, uh, where was I? Fucking home state that has Texas food. And we were sitting there, and they played a song that reminded me of Deep Ellum, and I almost fucking started crying with my mouth full of tacos, because I was like, oh, Deep Ellum. Okay, so I exaggerate, and I think I pretend I hate all of Dallas. It probably makes it easier 
the fact that we had to leave there. But I don't hate that whole place. I just hate the conservatism that, like, infects the whole city in a way. Anyway, um, so yeah, if you go to the adult papers Insta, this kind of explains what the fuck you were looking at, but it doesn't fully, which is why I'm sad that I didn't have time to get to the series of episodes this season about my singing slash songwriting slash recording journey because I blogged about it as I was doing it back in 2019, but... Um, my days of freedom are almost over and this is as far as I got. And so, I don't know. We shall see. I really want to talk about it and write about it more because it's just such a rich treasure trove of, of identity and concepts and questions. And, um, I continue to grow and change exponentially when it comes to that. I started singing some jazz standards this week, and uh, I've always kind of known that I like to sing in a jazz styling kind of way, because that's just how my voice is. I just, I don't know, I like that clear tone, and and um, I like to mimic the sounds of other beautiful sounds, and so it just kind of is natural, but I also like don't know where the fuck to start because jazz is like pretty academic you know and I just don't even know it's much easier to think of myself as like a punk artist because then I can just play with like two or three notes and like one or two chords and just make weird sounds and and then now I'm like oh well I guess I have to actually learn how to sing I have to learn how to use my breath and control shit and if I want to sound pretty like that which I can sometimes but there's no like rhyme or reason to it I know I can sound decent when I when I feel it but like how do I make myself consistently feel it and technique would help with that so yeah that's happening now but I'm not writing and blogging about it because I'm recording and producing this fucking season so that's a problem but I will get back to my morning reflexiones yeah, we can say it with a Spanish accent. And so I, uh, eventually I want to record a song where I do sound decent in, if for no other reason than just to be able to share it with fucking Future Surf Radio <laughs> and submit a song to them and play it and be able to be proud in that room of fucking incredible singers and musicians. And it shall happen. I just hope that the universe allows me the time because I have so much left to do in my life that I probably need at least 80. I mean, I need more than that. I probably need like 120 years to get it all done. So, uh, swear to God, it will happen. It will happen. I had one vocal. Okay, I've had one. I've had at least three voice teachers, uh, vocal coaches, and, um... My second one was, uh, she was so hard on me, but it was because she, like, first of all, because she was a badass, she was in Garland, her name was Brooks, I believe, Garland, Texas, she's probably still there, but, um, she was really hard on me, and I think it's, I don't know why, 
she was hard. She was probably hard on everyone, but she probably saw me coming in there all mousy, like, oh my God, I don't know if I belong here. What am I doing here? And I was terrified. The first voice teacher I had almost threw up before I went into his room, but then the second one, I was just like a little mouse, and I I brought in a Patty Griffin song, and it might have been the one about MLK, but anyway, I just wasn't ready to like sing with passion and soul yet, because... I didn't even know how to fucking sing, period. But anyway, um, I should have brought a jazzy song. Now I, I know there'd be a different song I'd bring. But um, but she fucking believed in me, though. And she was already, like, talking about, like, putting me, like, making me perform. This was before lockdown. And so, but hello, lockdown became a total excuse for me to not have to do the very scary thing of showing up to her lessons every week and and you know getting better as a singer and and then performing you know but also you know I just I became a single mom right after that so like it's not all excuses some of it's just life circumstances some of it's timing I do trust the universe that you know things come easy when the time is right and like right now not a whole lot's coming easy, but, you know, um, the fact that I get to direct a short film this year came rather easy. Like, now, I worked my ass off. Let there be no question there, because I had written stage plays before, but never screenplays. I had never created a pitch deck. I'd never done any of the things that I did for that short film grant, and I did my homework, and I did what I had to do, but I've done that a lot. I've worked my ass off for a lot of opportunities that didn't materialize, so when I say it came easy, I mean, all I mean is that I actually got the opportunity, (laughs) but it happened, which means, okay, so now's the time for that, and then... I'm still singing, and eventually there will come a time when I get to perform again and maybe, you know, not make people want to shove their fingers in their ears. I don't know. I love that um, now that I'm older, I've kind of realized that everything is a long game. And so just because, you know, Adult Papers started in 2018 as a zine and a comic and paintings and then um, became um, a podcast in 2020 and then uh, now it's 2023 and I'm back with another season Um, and then I'll be back again eventually even if it takes time so it's a long game and I've probably lost a lot of followers or listeners along the way who were like this bitch dropped off the face of the earth and I and I do periodically I do but I'm always coming back I'm always back can count on that. Anyway, I'll quit my rambling and play the fucking episode I wrote for y'all. We were walking home from the park, and there was an ad on the side of the bus shelter that I had missed on the way. I could vaguely see the outline of a black woman with big, natural hair and her mirror image vertically aligned. I could see the colors orange and blue swirling in the middle and the textures that might be skyline on either side. I was so captivated with the image that I missed the familiar green Hulu logo, which would have instantly told me I was looking at an ad for a show. 
I just stared, watching it slowly come into focus. Something about this image reminded me of the poster for The Peripheral, the prime show that had been advertised in that same spot directly before this one, so I had a sense of maybe what I was looking at before I knew what I was looking at. But that's when I saw the word. Kindred. And that's all it said. No mention of Octavia Butler, but I just knew. I think I jumped up and down and squealed. If I didn't physically, that's what happened internally. It felt like forever that I'd been waiting to see an adaptation of an Octavia Butler work. For me, it was the parables. I just couldn't see, given how prescient it was, how almost predictive it was, how it hadn't been adapted for TV yet. So I counted down the days until December 13th for the season premiere. I was just so excited to see the damn thing that I didn't even think about the fact that I hadn't read Kindred yet. December 13th came and I watched the trailer and I realized, oh shit, I have to read this before I watch this. I couldn't offend the spirit of Octavia by watching Kindred on Hulu before reading the words that made the show possible. I'm not by any means belittling the medium of television. I learned that lesson long ago when I started writing my own scripts. Storytelling is storytelling regardless of delivery. I'm just saying, if there's a book and the book is written by Octavia Butler, I'm reading that hoe before I watch someone else's interpretation of it. So I read Kindred in a couple of days, which to be honest was easy to do. Octavia is the high priestess of story. That prologue made me want to quit writing altogether because what's the point? She fucking nailed it. So Jesus fucking Christ was the show disappointing. Requisite warning, this episode contains spoilers. It was disappointing not because it veers from the book. I understand the need to do that in film and TV adaptations, and I was even excited to see what new directions the show might take. It started and ended really strong. It was just the middle that was a boring muddle where nothing much happened. I liked the 2016 over 1976 choice and the inclusion of dating apps. The trials Kevin and Dana are immediately thrust into together are familiar to me as a single person navigating those apps and vaguely what it's like when two adult strangers try to date. Thus exposing the other to their own individual brand of psychosis and how easily that experience can spiral out of control. One tries to leave, then they stick around, then they want to leave again, then they get pulled in anyway, then they get kicked out. But then they're back? I liked that as a metaphor. And the infuriating, dangerous yet hilarious white neighbors. I would say caricatured, but if you know these white neighbors, you know that they are not a caricature. And since we moved to LA, I feel like I could point them out at school pickup. I think the writer said he didn't want to rush the telling. But when is good writing ever seen as rushing? I think, unfortunately, the practical application of that intention would explain why the middle is so, well, meh. I am a dyed-in-the-wool Octavia Butler fan, but I'm not sure I'd bother watching a second season of this show, as much as it pains me to say, because it was so boring in the middle. 
There was very little conflict to push the show forward for several episodes, yet I'm over here in my little corner of the bedroom screaming at the TV because I just got done reading the book and that bitch is a page turner. I don't know how they managed to make that whole middle section boring because she gave them so much to work with. The bulk of the mid-show seemed to be just watching Dana sitting in the kitchen house looking stressed or Kevin in his bedroom with the same expression. But who am I kidding? Of course I'll watch a season fucking two of Octavia Butler's first TV adaptation. I just hope that, well, you know what I hope. The book was just so juicy. I can't for the life of me figure out why they left all that juice on the plate and didn't lift that bitch up and dribble it into their mouths. Help, lick the motherfucking plate. I'm a plate licker myself. I kind of understand Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, the showrunner, executive producer, and writer's choice to not want a new cast every six hours, but I also don't agree with him. His defense that it just felt really unsatisfying doesn't satisfy me. One of the hardest things I've had to learn from writing, which has taken me the better part of 20 years, is that the point of the final product isn't to be satisfying to the writer in any sentimental or even personal way. It just has to be good. Because once it's done, it's not for me anymore, right? Stories are for the people. I mean, we eavesdrop on them, scribbling their dialogue into our little books, steal details from the plots of their lives, excavate their secrets for our characters' personalities and motivations, and rob their graves to write our stories. Once those stories are done, whether they're written or television, they don't belong to us anymore. So in my very personal opinion, it shouldn't matter whether or not Brandon was satisfied or not satisfied with switching cast every six hours. I've seen it done before and done well, though now would be the moment that I provide proof in the form of references, but I'm not going to because my memory is horrible and I have no idea how to Google movies that changed cast when characters aged without sifting through a bunch of irrelevant articles about actors looking way older or younger for their part. And the truth is, I simply don't have time for that. In my own writing, at times, it felt like cutting pieces of my heart out of stories I'd written when it was made obvious by an editor that such and such detail didn't work. But I did it. It's kind of funny that I'm having this critique, and if you were to Google my name, you'd have a very valid argument to make as far as Violet who? I'm not anywhere near the Master Octavia is. But as far as the process of learning the craft goes, I am on the motherfucking way. I've only been seriously writing for a few years because I was too scared to even admit to myself that I wanted to be a writer until very literally a couple of years ago. And that's a whole damn other episode. I viscerally remember what it felt like to cut out parts of the story that I loved when they didn't serve the whole. I did it for the first time, sitting in that thrifted rocking chair right behind where I write this now. It felt like taking an X-Acto knife to my chest and carving little pieces out, slowly digging, slice after slice, with the intent to pierce my heart and unalive me. But I got used to it. And now, I find it kind of satisfying when I realize my beloved character just gots to go. I've become like a mad surgeon cackling while I slice my scalpel through the flesh of my stories. All that to say, why in the hell wasn't the book just one season? 
one jaw-dropping, breathtaking, unforgettable season, like the book itself. I guess it depends on the overall goal. My world-weary self figured it was a financial prerogative to milk the book for as many seasons as possible, or that they wrote the first and last episodes before the rest of the season and forced the middle episodes to fit between. Either way, it was more forgettable than unforgettable. Which is sad, because Mallory Johnson, the actor who played Dana, gave some pretty gut-wrenching performances. Oof, when she returns back without Kevin, her screaming his name on the floor, oof, gets me goosebumps even now. I'm extremely glad to see that the lead writer is black, though a black man. I do wish they had gotten a black woman to write the adaptation because so much about the original book is about not only being plunged back into the antebellum south as a black person, but as a black woman. The change where Dana buys a house in Burbank or Pasadena or whichever suburb of LA because she sold a brownstone is a good one because in the original book, married or not, two people working for a temp agency would not have been able to afford a house in California or just about anywhere except maybe Harlingen, Texas. Haven't heard of it? Me neither. I know he'd just gotten a book advance, but even then, he'd probably have to already be a prominent writer to be able to buy a house outright in this motherfucking market. And I think in the book, he was kind of starting out. The white ladies. Oof. The white ladies being a general nuisance outside Dana's house at a new layer that speaks to the present-day prevalence of conservative suburban white women who boggle the mind with their votes against their own interests. As they stand outside, ogling, crying, and being so offended at the presence of the police in their once-perfect neighborhood, you just kinda wanna smack them. But don't, because nonviolence is the answer. I linked a couple of other opinion pieces on this problem of white suburban women in the substack of this episode. Namely, this piece in The Guardian, white women have been voting against their reproductive interests. And this piece in The Washington Post, white southern women are holding us back. Seeing as the latter article is about my home state, which we literally fled last year and was published on my daughter's seventh birthday, I certainly will pour one out for those of y'all still in Texas. Now back to my critique of The Kindred Show, which is an FX show apparently. I just watched it on Hulu. One critique I read said the plot inches forward, which is a much nicer way of saying what I have meant to say, which might be how I'd have said it if I thought anyone would read this essay or listen to this episode. Hugs and kisses to the 12 of you who do, and I think 12 might even be highballing it. Even with all my wine, and I do want there to be a season two. The motherfucking book is just too good, and this is the first screen adaptation of one of the best writers in history, period. Not just best sci-fi, not just best spec fic, not just best woman, not just best black woman, or US writer, best motherfucking period. But I worry there won't be simply because season one is so underwhelming. I mean, I did watch the whole thing, so maybe they'll get the ratings necessary for a season two. But if I had written for this show, I'm here to say I wouldn't have taken that risk. I'd have gone balls out on this one season, if for nothing else than to honor the masterpiece that is the book. Depending, obviously, on market capitalism, pressures from TV execs, and the collaborative feedback from other writers on my team, I'd have wanted to make it as much of a required binge as was the book. 
I love how the titles of the main chapters in the book don't even say anything. Prologue, the river, the fire, because they don't have to. And the book's pacing is... That was a chef's kiss. I was hoping for that in the show, if nothing else. I also happen to be of the opinion that pacing is one of the top three essential qualities of a piece of writing. Maybe the top. But if pacing is off, people are putting the book, article, show, movie, what have you down and switching on the latest serial killer show. Pacing has to deliver. Many people will watch Kindred because of their devotion to Octavia, like myself. Many may even finish the whole season through yawns and barely open eyes, but only because we feel beholden to Octavia. What about the people who've never heard of her? Do those people exist, though? And would I want to be friends with them? That's the question. I don't know. I worry about the show because it feels like my own baby inasmuch that Octavia's works have both inspired my writing and made me want to quit writing forever. But that's the thing. The rest of the book is as good as the prologue, down to the final word, and by then I'm literally drooling and not even aware of it. Luckily, the day I was finishing up Kindred at the playground, my kid had a play date, so the other kid's mom was helping me keep an eye out because there were moments when I forgot that I had a kid altogether. Watch Kindred on Hulu or FX or wherever you watch stuff. Develop your own opinion. Hell, even read the book after you watch the show and let me know what you think. I'm curious. I might have had a different experience of the show if I'd never read the book. Hmm insert thinking emoji, then travel interdimensionally to a parallel version of life where I watched the show before reading the book. Huh, which one was a disappointment in that reality? Thank you for listening. If you like my often visceral, sometimes grotesque reflections, please subscribe and leave a review. I do it all. The music the research, the writing, the editing, even the art. You can read my other ruminations in the form of fiction, creative nonfiction, and poetry, or hear my experiments in sound and voice, sometimes called music, at adultpapers.com. You can subscribe to my substack at lunarviolet.substack.com to get every episode emailed to you with conveniently clickable links. And if email isn't your thing, they're also available in the Substack app. If you like to get weird, find me on Insta at Adult Papers or Twitter, if it still exists, at The Lunar Violet. I'm also directing my first short film, so look forward to that in the near future. Join me again in two weeks for more Reflections from the Coil.